Hey, we are brought to you by MaxBP. MaxBP is the one machine to make you a better hitter, catcher, and infield. And guess what? MaxBP can make you a better coach. Yes, dad who can't throw BP, mom, like single mom, like, what am I supposed to do? I don't throw BP. Well, guess what? You buy yourself a Max BP machine. You're the coolest mom in town. He'll have his friends come into your house because, oh, yeah, you got a machine in your garage that throws Max BP balls, colored balls, helps with eye training, helps you with receiving, even has a battery pack. So, heck, you can take him to the park and he can hit. Or you sip on lemonade and watch your son hit bombs. So, uh, I know if you have a budget and you're thinking about, hey, do I need to, do I put in a batting cage or do I buy this Max BP? Well, guess what? It's way cheaper to buy this Max BP. And guess what? You can take your batting cage and you can use it before the game. Because I know a lot of these city parks aren't putting batting cages in there for us. We're an afterthought, ball players and ladies in the softball field. We don't have enough cages. Max BP provides that cage. So use code behind the dish on MaxBP's website for 10% off your purchase of a new MaxBP single mom awesome BP machine extraordinaire product. Peace. It's the Behind the Dish podcast with John Buck. Welcome into Rounding the Bases, the podcast about culture and leadership with a baseball twist and more of a baseball twist than usual today. My guest is someone that I first met when I came to Kansas City. As a matter of fact, I think I believe the first time I met him was before I started working in Kansas City and I was going on what they used to call the Royals Caravan, hopping on a bus and visiting these small towns. And, and on there was a was a catcher by the name of John Buck, who would be the catcher here in my early years of Kansas City in 2008 and 2009. Spent a lot of time in the big leagues from 2004 to 2014 playing for the Kansas City Royals, Toronto Blue Jays, Florida slash Miami Marlins, the New York Mets, Pittsburgh Pirates, Seattle Mariners, and the Los Angeles Angels, 1090. That's over a thousand big league games. He was the uh, rookie of the Year, eighth in Rookie of the Year voting, uh, a all-star, uh, also a great guy, and someone that I recently had a chance to reconnect with as he was back in town for some events. And uh, I always love to find out what these guys are doing after baseball. And in the case of John Buck, he is doing a lot in and out of the sport of baseball and softball, a lot of business. And I also often say, everybody does, that there is no position on the baseball field, on the baseball diamond, that involves leadership more than that of catcher, very much the quarterback of of a baseball team and of that pitching staff. So I am happy right now to bring in longtime catcher, friend, and uh, entrepreneur, businessman, dreamer, I don't know what to say, John Buck joins me (laughs) on Rounding the Bases Bucky, how are you? I'm awesome. How are you, Joel? I'm doing well. It was so good to catch up with you a couple of weeks ago. I mean, one, it's just fun for me to to see all of you guys moving on to the next life. And there aren't a whole lot of guys left in the league that were there when when Ike even came to Kansas City. You know, the the most devastating thing I remember was when, uh, follow me on this, when Jason Giambi retired. I didn't know Jason well. He was a good interview because he was the last active player that was older than me. 
And now they just keep getting younger. I mean, this is like life, right? They keep getting younger and younger and younger and younger as we keep getting older and older and older. It's a reminder that we're all replaceable. But you saw that throughout the course of your career, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, being in Kansas City early days, we were super young. Um, And and we had a lot of older veterans. And so I was on the flip side of it. And to have that gradual uh, I'm, I'm in the mix and then all of a sudden the old guy and then having all these young guys then take your jobs and all that evolution of, of what the game is. It was uh, a lot of lessons that were learned in between from old and young. But, yeah, that's it's an ever revolving door in baseball, right? <laughs> it, it always will be. We're all yeah. replaceable. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I've come to learn that you don't have to have played the game and you can stay in the game longer when you're on the broadcast side and, and still get older and, and do all that type of stuff. If, if Look, there's a lot that goes into this with leadership and everything too, in, in terms of building relationships and treating people the right way. And you do that in any business, you stay around a long time. So we can talk about that or, or anything else, but I want to first start by saying or asking you what you're up to. I know the answer to that, but it's not an easy question because you've got your hands in a lot of things. And I think a lot of former ball players go the route of coaching and teaching. It makes a lot of sense. It's your expertise. And I know you're doing that, but you're doing so much more too. So give me the, um, I don't know, the Cliff's Notes version or a bit of the summary of all the things that you're involved in. Yeah, well, when I first came home, I was, I don't know, it was a weird transition like any player, right? Um, you're coming home and, and your wife doesn't exactly put like a schedule on the board like we're used to for the last 20 years, right? There, but she expects you to do that that laundry list. But it I, it was a hard adjustment for me. And But what I really gravitated towards was business, entrepreneur things, because I had done that with um, my brother-in-law and was pretty heavily involved with Lizard Skin, bringing it onto the field and, and being a part of that. And then also with War Stick. Um, and then... My, my role in the union was uh, the equipment stuff. So I was involved in the little dot and the nets going down when that was first started. You know, obviously it just started getting activated now, but uh, and learning the process of what due process needs to happen for that to legally change on the field. And it was fascinating to me to, to see that me as a player had a voice to change the history of the game. Um, and having some catchers that were kind of that cool, there's that, you know, that, they made a movie about the the one spy catcher. You know, I was just, I just thought, oh, catchers, we were different. You know, we change, we can change how it is in the, the, the mood of the clubhouse. I can change the outcome of how Zach Grinky throws by kind of coddling them through a, a lineup, talking intellectually with them and giving them options to let them choose where Matt Harvey, I got to step on his toe, and but I can get the same reaction but it's two different personalities. I was interested in that and how that happens with business in, in, in the clubhouse. I was like, man, there's some similarities here that I was real good over here, you know, and I know that's why a lot of the the teams that would have me come on either as playoff teams or the jobs that I got and the roles that I have, maybe that transitioning. Cause I think I did pretty good in Kansas city uh, is learning how to, learn with new pitchers and get guys to be better and develop. And I, f- I found a skill to be able to do it. And I found that it kind of translates in business and entrepreneurial things and have, have dipped into uh, a lot of those things <laughs> since playing. 
Yeah, so I want to get to that in a minute. Let, let's just make sure for those that don't know, can, can you explain a little bit further lizard skin and dots and all that kind of stuff oh, yeah. for, for those that may not know? Yeah, lizard skin. So I figured, uh, yeah, Joel, you, I figured you'd commentate, isn't that your the color? Uh, yeah, is, so lizard skin. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. to put it on the team okay. for you. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll see how it started. So lizard skin was a, uh, was a wrap that went around bicycles. Um, and uh, it's a Utah company. They... Uh, came to me and said, Hey, I think we can do baseball bats. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's come on over. They came into the batting cage in the backyard and we tinkered with it, toyed with them. Then they just had the, you know, black or red, you know, standard colors. And I was like, all right, we need to spice this up. You need, I need camel prints. I need my name on the top. I need fluorescent and where it really kicked off. I was using it in spring this, the, this particular year. And do you remember the, the at bat that it really clicked? was um big poppy came up to play he was getting ready to go to the playoffs and he wore those fluorescent gloves and when he came up to bat he had the pre-wrap on the bottom of them and i, I was like i said poppy this is the middle of the game in fenway i was like dude you're big poppy what are you using pre-wrap for your thing he's like what are you talking about and i said i'll send you over some stuff i'll bring it out for bp so i got uh Brian Fruit, who's the owner, and Brad Barker, who's the kind of the head rep for Lizard Skin at the time, who's my good close friend. Um, and with all the things I did, Buck Athletic, they were kind of my mentor in the business thing as I transitioned. So that's kind of the relationship. And I said, you need to get that fluorescent next day, like now. Big Poppy's going to use it tomorrow. And trust me, I'm trying to figure out how to get him out right now. He's locked and going into the playoffs, getting him out now. So, uh, that Brad got him out there the next day. I took him out to BP, um, kind of gave it to him from there. And then he was on ESPN and then uh, ESPN, the magazine and all this stuff. He blew up sports center and kind of, and you can see all the lizard skins and he's the one that blew it up. I was the first one to use him in the big leagues, but he was the first one to probably put it on the map. But I think it was, and, and what I could understand because of the stuff that I was doing with the union, with the players union, the name likeness and the image of the players. I knew the power that I had just by the access to the players of the name likeness and image of my friends. So I said, Hey, I just kind of made those connections and I don't know, it fascinated me, uh, you know, how equipment gets from, you know, China and how that all happens to inside my locker. Uh, I thought it was cool. And, kind of got into it with them that's kind of how lizard skin and i got connected because i got into make it a little thinner a little bigger a little thicker for colder days and, and things like that and then now my brother-in-law worked for him now we're doing you know mlb the show i think it's even in there they got little grips for your controller so <laughs> well this was like this was the first foray into sort of the yeah that was the start of it business right yeah yeah that was the start of it because i saw how easy of uh you know the platform we're given as ball player how we can influence and then this thing being the influence tool and, and what it means for players it, I, I saw a weird thing happening uh and and metadata and the data that we create and it, it, I, I saw a currency there that it wasn't really defined yet um you know i think kardashians defined it pretty well and executed it but i knew as players we had the currency there that was invaluable to companies. And I just kind of experimentally executed it with lizard skin. Uh, thought I kind of did it for myself with buck athletics bag and a wrap 
type thing that I got into. Uh, I got into utility patents, patents, and all that, those type of things. Because I was always fascinated with the first catcher's glove. The first, like when I went to the Hall of Fame, played a Hall of Fame game, I wanted to see the patent for the first mask. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the first one, the actual factual one. So I was able to go see that. Not, that kind of fascinated me. So I, I developed a business, Buck Athletics, kind of around the utility patent of, of EVA shield that protects the equipment inside of your glove. Um, so I, I started that and it really started as my brother, brother-in-law's school project. He had to start a business at Dixie college. And next thing you know, we're traveling to China and we're competing against Wilson and Rawlings and Mizuno a year later with these college students. And, and because of baseball and that, like I said, that currency, that value, um, we kind of, got noticed real quick and was able to, uh, you know, lizard skid ultimately end up taking over. Cause I, I, you know, my brother-in-law had a set of skills that I think I felt like I was holding him back that he needed to go. I wasn't going to be able to do it as quick. I knew if I, with the relationship with lizard skin, uh, I was able to kind of pass my bag and the technology and Justin, who was the designer, like I said, I was wallpaper and a lot of connections Truth be told with Buck Athletics. He did a lot of it. And so that's kind of where the marriage of lizard skin and uh, yeah, like you said, the entrepreneurial really kicked off is that kind of that whole soul set of, of stuff well, from the union all the way down. Well, this thing is so layered because something as simple as a, <laughs> as a bat wrap, right? I mean, you're talking about uh, for lack of a better term, like not tape, but something that you put, to grip your bat. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know, uh, baseball players, all athletes at that level are extremely particular about every little detail, right? Some of it might just be superstition. Some of it is just, Hey, this doesn't feel quite right. And the slightest little adjustment could change things. It's such a sport of finite adjustments. Now you add in, when I talk layers, the players likeness, you know, for a big poppy to suddenly use that big poppy was universally known. And you start talking about powerful entities and union and the league and, you know, big time manufacturers and companies. I mean, this had to have been a, a dive into the deep end. Yeah, it was. Cause I was already in the deep end. I found in a weird, unique lens that less than 1% of the world gets to view them. And then once you are, you're not really thinking about this type of stuff, right? And this was kind of around my, my, you know, my angels and my Seattle Mariners. Cause you see how my brain thinks when I didn't, wasn't the guy to take over a lineup. I had to have another arena of my life to help catch my brain. So some of this entrepreneurial stuff started when I played and I knew I could start this cause I had some of these roles in, in the union uh, with equipment and, I could see how these things would work and my brain had just attached to it. Cause I found myself in this unique scenario where I had access every single day to what every single sales rep wanted to have. And I went, not only that I'm asking this guy, Hey, use this buddy. Hey pal, just, I don't have to pay him. I don't have to send them product. I saw value to it. So I, I saw myself as a value, not to lizard skin, but also if I wanted to make my own product, which then also I said, what if, what if we do this for all of baseball, you know? And, and cause I dream big, like you said, dreamer. And, and I think 
I know I got to where I was one baseball and then all the other things is because I, I listened to one rule that a mentor gave me and he says, there's only one rule. And I'm like, all right, what's that? And he's like, there are no rules. There's no rules to, you know, goal setting or where you want to go in your life. The only one that puts those rules on that is usually yourself. And whether it's entrepreneurial or baseball or fitness or whatever it is that that rule applies you know wherever i can dream and go and push myself to do it i see that it's the ceiling i put on myself whether it's business entrepreneurial and they seem to kind of to go so i think that for me at least in my brain as fast as it moves it, it was able to feed, feed that niche of it i'll go back to where you're going with all this in a bit i do want to let everybody know that john does have a podcast called behind the dish and you could find out more information about it by going to behind the dish.us and i'll ask you more about that too but i just want to make sure that as people are tuning in or hopefully not tuning out that they're <laughs> aware of that but I, I i truly believe that catcher is not only the most important position in all of baseball. It's the most fascinating. And and I'll I'll let people in on this that don't know that catchers have their hands in almost everything that goes on in the preparation of a baseball game. Because one, you still have to be prepared as a hitter, which means that every bit of information of reading the opposing pitchers needs to be consumed like it is for every player or every position player. But also you're in the meetings for figuring out how to get those other hitters out, how to get your pitcher, not just your starting pitcher, but everybody in the bullpen. You need to know your whole pitching staff, which could be 11, 12, 13 so pitchers. Me, what, what you just added off of, you just so okay. just to add on to it, another layer. Okay. What you just said, not only know your starting pitchers, your closing pitchers, I'm studying. Okay, I got my three lefties that I'm having trouble because I'm about a 15% deficit on the down and in pitches. So I need to work on my setup on working the ball back into zone. Because I know if I get that 15%, it'll be a three different run differential against the Yankees coming in if I can master that because that helps me go on 0 one one and 2-2 counts on those lefties. That There's my 15% right there on run support. So that narrows that gap of what runs that we got to produce and that, which actually helps my offense. That's how we so, think. <laughs> right. Understanding that every single pitch that is thrown, you can't throw the pitch, but you can certainly help them get to where they need to go. And a lot of that, we talk about this often as broadcasters is, is yes, it's execution, but it's also pitch selection. And at the major league level, when you see a catcher looking into the dugout, he's not asking what pitch to call. He's maybe being told to, you know, to to throw down or, or to, you know, pick off type of stuff or whatever. But but you, you're you not looking over and saying, oh, OK, curveball. You've got to no. figure this out based on every scouting report, which, as you just said, isn't just this guy can hit high fastballs or this guy's susceptible to a low curveball. It's this is what he does in this count. So you need to know, oh, 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 one, two, on, on, and on, and on, and on. And, oh, by the way, you just mentioned this before, too, that you have to be able to, as a leader, to get these pitchers through what, what I think can be very uh, traumatic, maybe isn't the right word. Well, I think it is. And I think it is. I think it is, too, because – and this will tell you how in-depth that we go as catchers – is I understand, like you said, and, and behind the dish, which you started, and what I'm into now and what I'm doing, which I'm 
sure we'll get into is we just kind of went through my transition out of baseball with, with some of the stuff I was doing. But what I'm doing now is, is I'm really applying what I used and what you kind of just touched on is it is a traumatic. I mean, we're, we're, if you think brain chemicals that go up in stress level, it's a post-traumatic stress scenario that's going on. And then you add on a dad screaming, what the hell are you doing? And then you get grandma doing it. That's stress, bro. Feel that. You, you break down to tears. Physically, it makes you change things. How do I help that guy and understand that dopamine thing that's going on in that player's brain to bring them back to be in the zone and operate ultimately because I need this fastball down in the way and I need you to know that I believe in you and I know that you're going to execute this pitch. We just went from post-traumatic down to I believe in you. Let's get it done. And with a matter of a mound visit. How do you do that? And that's understanding the zone and how it works and how how to control that dopamine drip in the brain and get that elevated insulin into your brain so your shutter speed quickens. Your breast gets to six to eight breaths a second. So you become in the zone. So, I mean, let's think about this because you mentioned Zach Granke, who certainly is one of the most unique athletes that I ever covered. And I'm guessing he's one of the most unique teammates that you ever had. Brilliant guy, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly someone that that dealt with or maybe still deals with some some anxiety and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of um all of that, so much of what we're talking about with mental health now, mm-hmm. uh, a guy that maybe wasn't always comfortable being around people, but but when he was comfortable, just brilliant, interesting guy to talk to, uh, one of the, the best talents that I've covered. And now you get a Matt Harvey, who we actually had here uh, a little bit last year, too, uh, who's intense and fiery. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, you're in New York, where it's not just the the grandmas, it's uh, it's the great-grandmas and everybody that that's yelling and screaming. <laughs> How important was it, and this is a great leadership discussion, to be able to connect, build trust, and understand the differences of each of those guys that you're leading? When, where do you think that starts? When do you think I start that? Well, it's spring, spring training. Okay. When? Well, before. Training. Yeah. I'm calling, I'm, I'm getting their big goals. I'm getting a feel for them. I'm even if it's just to get the excitement to see me. And then when I there, I have, I have in my mind, I have them on my war board. I got Zach, I got Harvey, whoever my starters are. I got my middle relievers I that. And I've done my homework beforehand. Cause I said, all right, Dayton, Trey, Tony, you know, who's making this team. Like, who do I need to make make this team? Who do we need? That's spring training because I, I have to visualize and see me executing with that guy beforehand because intuitively it'll come to me later. I need to go to B to A with all those guys before, I'm, before I go ask them what I want them to execute. I have to have already lived that with them, those, those players. That's when that starts. So that when they derail off of it's I'm well aware intuitively if I pick up, whoa, Harv's not all right. He's being passive. He's not a passive person. What's going on? I don't know. Maybe it's go play golf. Because I know there was one time his sister was not feeling well and it affected him because he loves his family. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he, there's pitches that will have stuff going on. And if I can and if I can get them back in the zone before we we start to to like be in that moment. 
I get them locked and we can avoid that scenario. And and your intuitiveness picks up on that if you're prepared and and you've been you've lived B to A. Does that make sense? I've it, been, well, I, it, it does because here here's the thing, like, and obviously I'm not and don't need to be on that level, but it's my goal every chance I get to build rapport with those players. Correct. And so the best comment you can get. And and I I'll share this. I mean, I, you know, there I, you know there are things you can share. There are things that you can't. But uh, I, I was interviewing Whit Merrifield recently after a game, which can happen a lot because you know he's certainly one of the the royal superstars. And and I but he but he's been struggling a little bit for him. Mm-hmm. And I made the comment he was talking about a couple other guys that were struggling and what they're doing and how important they are. And he's kind of pumping them up. And then I said, well, what about you? I said, you know, you we're so accustomed to seeing you get two or three hits in a game. And so suddenly when that doesn't happen, it, it's alarming. But um, how are you grinding through, the, through this? And he gave this quick short, it's baseball, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And now, thankfully, I had to have another, I had another question loaded and ready to go. And But it was said in a very confident way. And I think 10, 15 minutes later, I'm in the middle of a show, post-game show, and I get a text from him, unsolicited, saying, hey, I, you know, just so you know, I, or I, that didn't come out the way I wanted to, so I'm sorry <laughs> if I – and I'm like, dude, I, I might have just asked a bad question. I don't know. And he goes, you didn't ask a bad question. You're the man. And I didn't take that as like, wow, he likes – I took it as the, he respects me, that that he respects what I do. Um, so that involves that trust that you're talking about. I don't need to be the one to get these pitchers or these players hitting right. But if I'm doing my job right, I've built enough trust and rapport for them to go beyond just the cliche and to respect me and to say yes, provided that you know, there's a good back and forth with it and that I'm not taking advantage of it. One day, I'll, I'll throw this one at you too. It's great. Um, I actually wrote about this in, uh, briefly in my book, but Eric Hosmer blew me off once. And Eric Hosmer is not the kind of guy that blows anybody off. You, you can tell me if, if you have an idea of what happened here, because I, I, you'll get this. Uh, he hits a, a walk-off home run. Place is going crazy against Colorado. And, you know, they rip his jersey off and uh, at the plate in the celebration. And then Mike Swanson, you know, the Royals media relations vice president, comes over and says, Hosmer said he can't do it um, because his jersey got ripped off. Which makes no sense because I've never seen Hosmer shy away from being in front of the camera, like, you know, without all. So um, he had hit the home run against former closer Greg Holland, Royals closer Greg Holland. Okay. And he walked off Holland. You know what happened there. He yeah. didn't want to show him up in the interview. He didn't want to to be gloating, so to speak. It was enough of a celebration at the plate to, to embarrass, you know, a former teammate and friend. Yeah, I buy that. But it stunned me at the moment because he, Haas was always in the worst of times, best of times. Yeah. He was always the guy and he wouldn't do it. And I think it was 15 minutes later, I'm up on the set in left field and I get a text message from Hosmer. Hey, dude, I didn't mean anything by that. I just couldn't do it. My jersey got ripped off. Don't take it personally. You know, I love you. Now, I also said BS. I I know exactly why he did that. He didn't want to show up as guy, and he's not going to say that. And and years later, he admitted to that's what it was. But that's that respect and that trust. Like that doesn't happen. He doesn't give a crap to 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 text me or Wit doesn't do that. In after the fact, they don't have to. Nobody owes me anything unless you've built that rapport. And I think that you build that rapport in whatever your role is every day, every moment that you're on. Yeah. I, well, I think. Uh... 
like us being on that caravan. I know that being on there made me a lot more like, oh, open up to you, Joel, share things. And I know that you know those things about hoes is because you, you've spent that time with them away from the camera. You like, like I said, before spring training started, you did your due diligence. You were prepared so that you were like, Oh, something ain't right. Harvey's not coming aggressively all of a sudden. Hoes is not doing normal Hosmer stuff. Like what's going on. And then you, you, because of that report, you were picked up and it, and you didn't, create more thoughts or more distractions or more score breakers for him and the Royals. You said, all right, there's a reason I've done my rapport. I can keep really focused on hand. Everybody wants another ring, right? You included. And, and when you, you get a sense of that when you're on the team planes, the team bless, the team function, when you are celebrating the team things, we sometimes you get lost in that and that rapport it pays dividends when you're in those atmospheres because we will talk to you like our boy Joel because we know that you're on the same mission as us when that's going. It's not Joel's out here to bury me because he doesn't want me catching because we're we're mental midgets too. That's going to happen. And if you do your diligence and you're professional enough, you also know oh, he's having a a John moment or whatever you want to call it, right? And and I think that just helps you be more trustworthy for me because then it's like. I'll open up to you a little because I know you're going to protect me because I've had, I've had several reporters and casters do the same for me because as a catcher, whether you're the guy or not, you got it there. What about the guy, you know? And then it's like, you're being, because there's reporters that don't like you or that don't like our team. We're trying to get that hook on the next, on the, on his beat or whatever for the page. So you have to learn how to be really good with your words to, to kind of protect that. Like, just like what, uh, Haas was doing. And when you have guys like yourself that I can just trust, like you said, set it up for you, right? You, it's, you get more of a creative feedback and answer from players. I, I know you feel it because then there's a trust there. I don't feel like I'm like, what's Joel's angle here? So I think that's, that's a good reporter and that's a good, cause you do your due diligence, same as a catcher. That's right. and, I, and I'm not saying that like, hey, well, those guys text me and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we all want to be respected, but I like but everybody, not- everybody. I mean, everybody knows we got to have it like we're we're with you 24 right. seven. A lot of times more than our wives during the course of the season, that's some months. You know what I mean? That's right. And I've always told players that and my role is different. I'm not there to, to break news, but I've always told players that, look, I, I'm I'm never going to bury you unless there's a reason to bury you. Because most people are buried out of misconception or somebody's trying to sell a headline or whatever it is. That's not my job. It's also not who I am. So I've always told players, look, if you're in an 0 for 21 slump, you're in an 0 for 21 slump. I mean, Hunter Dozier for the Royals recently broke a a 1 for 32 stretch or something like that. Yeah, those sound cute. But I'm not going to sit there and, and talk about how great he is. I'm also not going to say that he's a piece of whatever or that he's not trying uh, unless I have true information that that's happening. Um, I know he's working hard, so I can start explaining things and telling the story in a way. I mean, it, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And right. um, when you do that enough, you build a reputation. I think for me, one of the hardest challenges has been like I can interview Andrew Benintendi right now. I've never met him in person. 
He's yeah. our starting left fielder. That's that's a product of the pandemic. I can interview yeah. Carlos Santana. I'm no different than any reporter in the game. But when it's Salvador Perez or whether it's Whit Merrifield, I have years of rapport, which, by the way, and you know this with a pitcher, too, that you could throw that away in one second. So oh, you yeah. can't ever stop building it, but you can throw it away mm-hmm. in a second, right? And, and and in your case, when you're going out, I'll get back to this, and then we'll move on. When you go out to the mound, you talk about trauma, this could be in the heat of the moment with 35,000 people yelling in the heart. you got to slow the heart rate down or maybe pick it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we all know about my uh, one scenario where I lost it in a second with Ronelvis Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> it was at it, it, that very moment, but what it was, give, give us the give us the inside. I, I don't know. I don't know if we ever really gave the full scenario since I like I don't know where he's at now. So who cares, right? But anyways, he uh, it was we were playing Cleveland. It was a day game. He and we were rolling pretty good, and I think I just I just hit a homer, so I was feeling extra confident. I think it what it was, and and so. We're up three or four to nothing or five to nothing in the second or third. And nine, the nine, I think, uh, Francisco, I think it was it, Leonardo Francisco, I think, lefty stepped in the bucket, like to pull a ball, Cleveland nine hole hitter. That's what I remember. And wore, and wore Nikes. That's what, how my brain works. <laughs> kind of a pigeon toad. Isn't that weird how I can see yeah. that? But those I can't remember. Details, yeah. yeah, it's really weird. So, and the reason I remember those details, outward, pulls the ball, whatever it happens to do with the pitch. We all know Renelvis has kind of a sinker or whatever, and he had a changeup and a slider. And he kept wanting to go his breaking ball. Well, his sinker was going good, and we're in the – if you remember, we, if, when we can save some pitching – we needed to save our pitching in the early days of the Royals because we use that thing regularly, right? And so getting t- to late innings was a thing on my mind. And in that particular time, it was doing it. And also, if you remember the week before in New York, he tried to fight Buddy. Remember all that? Well, or, or did that get take? Was that under? We keep that under wraps pretty good. No, you can do whatever you want. I I, I need to preface this because the years all blend together. Uh-huh. I, I only ever heard about all this because it was two years before I got there. Okay. So, I mean, when I think of when I think of Ronaldo Hernandez, my I, I've never met the man. Uh-huh. My first thought is that's the dude that got in the fight with John Buck. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Let's see. There's a couple other fights prior to this. I heard there was an incident that Kyle Snyder took care. Of. So there's there's history to my blow up, which a lot of people don't see. Like you said, that one incident, people think John's crazy because of the way it happened or was perceived. In the minor leagues, there was an incident that he did to a minor leaguer that I didn't particularly care for. Nor did Kyle Snyder. Wasn't appropriate. We don't need to bear him any more than that. There was another scenario with Buddy Bell in Yankee Stadium that he went towards Buddy Bell. Then my scenario, he tried to, I wanted to get longer. He called me out there, proceeded to tell me he have five-year, 10-year, or I'm a rookie, so listen to him. I said, your stuff sucks. You throw whatever. Because he was going to say, he said that to me. I said, really? Well, Mr. Veteran, you're not doing real well on pitches. We need to go late in the count. Let's get away. It's not, you know, let's get out of here. So we got two outs. You're the rookie. I'm the veteran. You do what I tell you. I said, your stuff sucks. Throw whatever you want. So that's what I said to him. I went back behind the plate and caught the rest of the inning, not calling a, he called his own pitch, but mind you, threw his off speed and it went off the wall for a double. 
that happened. Then we got the next out. I'm putting my taking my gear off because I just caught the rest rest of the game. I caught just catching them. I didn't call a pitch. I was just like, I'm over him because he came down. I'm taking my gear and I hear, and I looked up and zoom. Like he would, and then I went to hit him. I think I had Angel Bro and everybody on me as I went. And then I went down in the tunnel and thought he was like, go ahead. I was down there going crazy down the tunnel, like, come on down here. We're gonna settle this now. And he and he, I think you saw the camera. He was just kind of pacing over by the by the thing. But it was it was I probably didn't handle it the right way because I was young, ego got involved. I could have handled that down there. Nobody would have understood it. I would have done the same thing, but that split second. Now John's, you know, now I'm having to apologize to Dayton. And, and even though what I was right, I remember talking to Dayton, what, what you did was right and good leadership, time and place, John. It was a lesson learned and a constant reminder as we talk about it on another podcast because it is interesting and there is, there's always more behind it. And long story short, Ron Elvis and I end up kind of making amends and actually fixing some of the things that we had communication wise. And I feel like it, it made him a better teammate uh, standing up for him and saying, dude, us as Royals don't want to take that. Us as an organization, you're awesome. Let's, let's stick to being awesome. You don't need to do that. And, and I think, I feel like he definitely made an, an effort after that. So that was something you, it gets labeled as that. And we grew from it. You just don't get to hear about the growing of relationships and stuff. You get to hear the sometimes the nasty buildup and the big thing. But as you said, with one instance, all that goes to hell in a handbasket because what it what it's perceived. Well, you know, and uh, hopefully there aren't you know physical fights going on in the in a normal office place. This stuff no. does happen in baseball. You yeah. know, the, the the that's why they call it the dog days of summer, and you're you're around each other, like you said, more than your wives in tight quarters, especially if you're at a Wrigley Field or a Fenway Park, and uh, over and over again every single day. Um, so maybe the fight is hard to imagine, but they're going to be blowups in in any profession too. You were a young guy then, though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 so let's say this was the veteran John Buck towards the end of the career. What, how would that have gone down? I'll tell you what, that still sticks to me so much to this. I'll, t- I'll show you this happened a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, little league game. We have a coach who is going bananas when it was out of hand. This guy like came and got in my face and I felt it. I was ready to go, but I was able to kind of, I've had these experiences. I've felt what it feels like to have that adrenaline and you get to her like, because I could have folded this guy up. That's not, that's not the thing. Yeah. What else? What is this going to do? And then I'm able to rationally think and slow things down because of experience and having that. And that's still that moment with Renelvis, that moment, it played a slide in my head and this guy is a good friend of mine. No reason I probably didn't break his neck because I grew up with a kid. <laughs> Had sleepovers when I was seven, eight years old, but he's he's it over a little game and it was a misconception and all this. And I was able to stay calm, bring him down, make him realize his his uh his lack of knowledge in the situation at that time and got a good scenario and, and grew from it where I was because of that learning experience and and not reacting on that ego or that 
because we feel it, and especially in athletics, it still sticks. I mean, that one experience. So I think I, having those big things that are like real learning lessons in those leadership moments, they, they hurt and they're embarrassing and they're terrible sometimes. But if you can look at them and lean into them and learn from them, they are your best lessons. They will stick you with you the most. They will be the most fruitful as far as what they give back to you after you've experienced. And the harder, the more fruitful usually. Well, those are the best experiences if you learn from them, which I'll, I'll get to one of those with a swing and a miss in a moment. But let me let me hit the baseball theme questions, which are the caveat with former ball players, which I don't have a ton of on the show, but I did this recently with Alex Gordon, your old teammate, is that this is generally meant to be a you know a business or a life question, but but it could be a baseball one too or both. What's the biggest home run that you've hit? Well, let's say I'll, I'll flip it. I'll say because um, we all we all know the biggest home run. I don't know biggest home run. I don't know. It was a series of home runs because of what it did for my 2010 season. I had a game where I was struggling. I hit three home runs in one game in Toronto. And that was like, it was a series of them. It was like a building off of, off of that. So there was like a series of home runs. So those are probably, that really stick with me because it was the confidence that I built up. So it felt like that, which created a lot more, I guess, flashy, which everybody would expect me to say, but it was those three when I was hitting like 098, the first month of the season that were the biggest home runs for me. And I think business wise, I think so far, maybe, uh, you know, doing a deal with lizard skin on our licensing deal on, on the products I had on the entrepreneurial itch that kind of was like, all right, I've, I've created, I've sold a company and sold patents. That was probably my biggest home run on a business to kind of say, I swung it. I did it, spent money and, and now earning money for it. I feel like that was a, a big home run in the business world. So yeah, an early home run with, with many more to come. So 20 home runs that year for Toronto, you ended up batting 281. So everything turned around just fine yeah. in, in that season after you left Kansas city, 2010. And uh, so 134 homers in the career, 959 strikeouts. I only mentioned that because when I ask about a swing and a miss, uh, most of my guests can't talk about their strikeouts in the big leagues, but I'm not going there. Uh, it could be again, we got 900 of them we can talk about. We got yeah, 900. You're not, I don't... <laughs> you're not supposed to remember those. Oh, okay. You're supposed to forget about all those. Although it's funny, my broadcast partner, Jeff Montgomery, seems to remember more of the blown saves than the actual saves. He remembers the home runs over the strikeouts. Well, I, just, I, t I told you those are when we, what you learn about. Our, brain, right. our brains are like we're problem solvers. We want to fix things. Our brain gravitates those. And I think if sometimes you learn, if you lean into them to learn and not criticize yourself, that's why he does that. That's probably why he's so good. It's like when you hear George like talk about like when he swings and miss or he goes for a slump. And the thing that I got from George, he told me he would obsessively think about his last four for four when he didn't feel right or, or when he was failing, mm -hmm. right? When he was swinging and missing a lot. So I was like, huh. The best guy to ever swing a bat. I'll go ahead and try to copy that. <laughs> you know, that's that sounds good because the way my brain was, it was. Do you know Greg Dobbs? You know I Greg Dobbs at Phillies. He's calling me right now. Baseball podcast. Okay. Base, you know, sure, just lost him up. Yeah, but I think having a routine that when you swing and miss, and how how you use those when you fail, when you swing and miss. And what you make of it creates the best swing and miss. 
like um, I'd, I'd say my best swing and miss now, since that's the next question, right? Mm -hmm. Is um, after I got done playing, I set out to do a sports complex here in Salt Lake City. And, and this is kind of what I'm doing now. And getting into the youth sports era, I decided to do some dad, you know, start coaching my little league team. And then, of course, I can't do anything halfway. So I looked into uh, we're lacking of fields in the complex out here. Uh, started down the road of doing that and got to the point where I had paid some money, got to where I, the city was going. We had a, a lot of things going. And then one thing, it didn't happen and it kind of fell apart. But I would say that's a big swing and miss because that's my first like, business thing that didn't work. I spent money. I spent time and energy away from my family. And then it was like, how did this not, I failed. Like I didn't get it done. And it was like, I made the big leagues. That was a big thing. Like it's a big A, it's a big goal. I made it. I made, i created a company, executed. Look at lizard skin. Look at buck athletics. I'm getting a residual check now. <laughs> like I did it. I'm going to make a complex and it's going to be like no other kind. I doing it. Boom. Fell flat, not flat on my face, but the things I learned, it was my best swing and miss so far from a business off the field standpoint in the process. I've learned how to be a better father at home father. Cause of that transition thing dealt with stress being at home, right? Not going on another six road trip, make it all fine. And then go be grumpy in my own hotel room. That was a tool I used. Everything was now I'm here constantly. I had to learn how to do that. And then, and still be present with my family, which I'm more than a baseball player, which I grew to be able to do with this failure. And then also business sense made me realize the areas that I wasn't educated enough to be able to, to push something like this forward and that I need to go and educate myself with real estate school, some other things to be able to do business wise school. And then also to maybe, you know, narrow my focus a little more on, why do I want to do this and narrow my focus on a purpose of why to do this a little bit more? I think I was too broad at baseball. I want to create a complex for the state of Utah that at its soul starts with mental health and then goes from there. Cause our area in Utah, we're in dire need and not just our country, but Utah itself. I think we're sixth or seventh in the world in suicide and where my brother was a suicide. My mom, it's debatable drugs induced suicide also not mentally healthy um i i just that passion's there and i i think at the root of that it could be better and the connection between sports school and mental health you're doing so much similar stuff with like i said it's that dopamine drip it's that it's that brain wave you do so much stuff those three things in alpha state that it's it's too much how do we not connect to them. And if I can create a complex at its core, where it starts with that and then does all the cool fields and all the other perfect game stuff and all that cool stuff as a, a cool cherry on top. I think that's the way I want to go about it, doing it. And it, it seems to be the, the recipe that I, that's, I think touching everybody's heart, especially, I mean, I started the behind the dish kind of during COVID and started out this mission kind of, I'm just going to start talking about this, about my brother. I'd like therapeutically, like, let me share some of these experiences that are going on. And that's how I just started with my buddy talking about this. And now it's 
of course, because of the relationships. And this is what they said when I don't do this project, it'll come when it needs to. And it was really hard to be like patient and be like, no, like I want it now. I'm not used to failing, learning how to do that too. And then having it when it's time, when the time is right, it'll happen that I need to learn, really learn to go back to operating in passion, which that is, that's a pat like making a difference in mental health because of my brother and my mom. I was lucky to have number one, the Kansas city Royals when it was the hardest time of my life in these areas starting to get me <laughs> where Dayton and, and my Royals family helped me when my kids were in the neck unit to help manage these stresses these anxieties, these panic attacks I was having, I feel indebted to share back. Like that's how I was able to, I was struggling. You can see the numbers when, when Brody and Cooper were born. And then the Royals helped me gain back and give those tools. And now those tools are helping me be a better dad. Like I said, deal with failure in business, deal with being a better present father in the zone father, the same way I did with catching being able to and and it was the help and stuff that i got through those leadership with dayton and the royals training staff and those things but to share that i know the value of that because as us athletes is i'm is my own egos going on and my own i don't want the world to know that i this is going on because i may try to get a deal you know there's all those things with that you know all that stigma that comes if you share you're holding it you're holding it all in yeah and and to be able to come out on the other side of that and say like, Hey, I'm such a better person because I did this and I leaned into the Royals when they needed me to help. I was less afraid to do it. I know I'm in a better spot and was able to play as many years and become an all-star after having these feelings. Like I was having panic attacks, not like kids were dying. <laughs> couldn't hit a, <laughs> couldn't hit a baseball. And then all of a sudden get to the point where I was an all-star like it's, it's mental health exercises, being, having attention to it. You are your thoughts. It's a thought game. And, and if you can strengthen that as much as you can physically, man, there's some awesome well-defined humans out there that I, I know that are amazing now. And if they sharpen that, we'll even be better or be more than a baseball player. You'll be the best father, best businessman, best coworker, best spouse. You know, if you, if you can exercise and put attention to that part of your, of who you are, you know, one follow up and I, I don't, I don't want to send the emotions all over the place. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. Um, yeah. You know, I suddenly turn into Roy Firestone and you know, make the <laughs> athletes cry, but you, it's that personal yeah. relationship, Joel, we open up yeah, to you, yeah. bro. <laughs> well, listen though, but the, the mental health discussion was not a big discussion when you were going through all of this. Right. I mean, it, it's in some ways it's an easier discussion now because the stigma uh, is being removed. And, you know, God forbid in the past that an athlete or someone in the military showed some kind of weakness. You can't do that. You know, even now we criticize these athletes when they come out of a game, they must not be tough enough yet. They're being told, we want you to be honest with us. We want to take care of you the best way that we can. It's not a sin to admit that you're feeling something, whether that be physically or mentally. And look, there's no prize, obviously, for being sixth in the country in Utah or Salt Lake. And yeah. But anyone that is listening or watching this knows that 
mental health uh, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic is an epidemic. And, you know, I can't tell you how many, how many kids my oldest who just graduated from high school has, has, has seen die by suicide. And I've done shows on this. And so it's, it's a problem. Uh, and more so than when your brother lost his life. Right. Um, yeah. In fact, I remember when my brother, when it hit three years, was that, John? it was I block it out so much. I, I was, I was in battle Creek, Michigan, whatever that was. That was, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I, I block out years. You know, it was ball play. Remember? I just, yep. 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 I, I do it by what uniform I was on. That was a Battle Creek year. <laughs> so, uh, in that <clears throat> was in Battle Creek, and I remember uh, off topic. Where was I? Where was I going with this? Would you uh, talk about your brother when your your brother passed? Yeah, it was in Battle Creek, and I remember. You know, my parents were going kind of going through a divorce. Mom was an alcoholic, and so there was times were hard. And I remember him having some head injuries and some conversations that I remember I wanted to talk about to kids, right? Because I thought it was important and I wanted to share it because I, I really believe it was because my brother was a football player and he laid some head now. And this was, again, before head injuries because, one, don't talk about mental health, what's going on. Remember that, like that Friday Night Lights, Billy Bob, yeah. just shut up, put your helmet on. That wasn't far off of that now, yeah. right? So I wanted to talk about those things and I was told, John, don't, don't say this. We don't want other kids to think this is what, like, this is okay to do. And I was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't hope so. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. We just, <laughs> that's how I felt. Like, we just yeah. clicked the button. Thank you. That's yeah. explicit. No kidding. No kidding. Like, why, like, what, that's why I'm doing it. I'm not telling them to do it. They didn't even want me to talk about it. But I was like, no, there's some things that he wasn't acting right. Like he, he wasn't like, I want to share what this is. And they, I was, I was suppressed to say, no, don't talk about it. So I kind of shelved it for a while to where then I start feeling, cause I was like, well, I can talk about me. You can't tell me to not talk about me. And then I first started, I was the weird catcher when I start, it started rearing its head on a little yips thing. Right. Well, and nice I, concussions. Yeah. And that's where I started. Cause I was like, well, I got a little thing going on here. And I was like, Anybody catching on to this pump fake going back to the pitcher? Anybody see this going on where other people are, you know, you've been around it. It's like, oh, let's not talk about it. Let's not look at John with our left eye. I don't want to catch the thing. I was the guy like, hey, I want to talk about it. I feel like I'm going mm -hmm. to die when I throw this ball back. And so I had to like learn, look it in the face and find out how to do it. It wasn't, if someone stole on me, it was like a relief. Thank you. Now I can throw the ball hard <laughs> down to second and throw you out and be deadly accurate. That's how much I feel like it almost gave me more confidence when I threw the ball hard. Right. Okay. So I, 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 because of that was my brain thinking, but why did this start happening? And because I had some, I leaned into it with the Royals and, and everything was good. I had this experience that it could have went South real quick and i know people and you know people that wasn't able to recover and end up playing would i become an all-star <laughs> you know get another job get to the playoffs twice as a, as a defensive catcher right who does that with a little bit of anxiety with a yips thing going on mm -hmm. no and it was because of leaning into that 
therapy and because that could have been mentally health the bad way and he got worse like aka chub knoblock i was able to lean into that mental health and felt comfortable because of my good because of my good results with the royals when i was feeling it and and it 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 made it so that i was like all right i gotta tell people about this because <laughs> it's it's not echoed enough like the the positive things of leaning into therapy or or paying attention to your mental health and it and it's not like i'm a go to the therapist every week it was like i'm feeling something that why and we were able to find out why and the second one happened to be a prefrontal cortex injury from the catcher's helmet and sudden blows and temperature in my brain and staying in on you know a prefrontal cortex injury foul balls off the nugget you know and thinking no i'm fine i'm just a little dizzy i'm gonna go out here with billy bob and keep catching <laughs> it, it drives me freaking nuts when i hear fans just doing the whole tough it up and look i get it fans and fans should be fans I, I, it's, it's kind of our it's our fault as catchers because we make it look so like nonchalant 100 yeah. off the forearm or 99 off the thigh like i got a rolodex of of pictures is what i should produce of with you joel and go over each one i got these like purple green the colors you've never seen before circles on my leg from bruises we just wear them and it's our fault as catchers we're just tougher than the average human so we make it look yes, easy. you are no <laughs> doubt about it uh, i was 99 or 2000 and looking at baseball reference where you played okay. for the michigan Bowcats. yeah it's where oh, it's uh, it's where uh derek jeter was born just a little fun fact. All right. Uh, Battle Creek, so, Michigan. <laughs> two of the great things to come through, John Buck and, and Derek Jeter. I had one more baseball theme question, and then I got four quick ones to wrap it up. I know you and I would go long, but it's my show. I could do whatever I want. I don't exactly. know if you yelling at me. So, and, you know, it's, it's so good to be able to catch up. But uh, the, the last baseball theme question is small ball, and not in terms of bunts and sacrifices and all that, but that, that was the origin for me. And, and my book, Small Ball, Big Results, what is small ball everyday in life for you? being because what i think is it's very small and it slips by and but i think it's the secret sauce to any successful person anybody you look at anybody who's the best in the world it's self-discipline they practice it they make it who they are their self-discipline is unwavering it's abnormal the fact that I retired and started waking up at 5 a.m., people think I'm weird. I'm, the only reason, I'm scared to death of getting complacent because I know the optimal me is not inside complacency. It's inside of being self-disciplined. And I feel like, you know, whether it's because I grabbed on the concept of why the military makes their bed, it's like just practicing self-discipline and mind over matter. I'm accomplishing a task of self-discipline right like. There's a lot of good things that happen in your brain, you know, that when that happens. And so I practicing self-discipline where it would be a small thing overlooked. That's the number big one thing in my life that I concentrate on. All right. Four final questions as we round the bases. These will be quick ones. They don't have to be quick answers. Just maybe some fun ones. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, my assistant sends out a questionnaire to all the guests, uh, even though I already you know, know you plenty. And she said to me, well, I got a response back uh, for please copy and paste your short bio in the space. Um, and it said, John Buck needs no introduction. <laughs> <laughs> your assistant. But I said, 
from your assistant, but I said, that could easily come from John too. I know his humor. She goes, I thought it was just joking, but I didn't know. I go, no, that's beautiful. But what I did learn from the questionnaire, <laughs> something unique about John Buck that we don't know, I didn't know this, was that you're dyslexic. Yes. Tell me yep. about that and how that affected everything that you did as a catcher. Um, well, there you go. Self-discipline. I knew I like I it was a I knew if I could work hard enough to read in the normal class with the normal kid, I was in resource because I, I went to the University of Utah and had like they did this thing where they laid down this dark green, dark red and does something to your brain. What happens kind of makes the so the letters don't. I, my brain doesn't want to go ahead and, and read the letters ahead of time. Right. And so it kind of slowed my brain down. So I, and it was hard like to feel smart, but have the complex, like I'm dumb. I'm in this resource class. Like that's who I, that's what I felt like. Right. Um, and, and I was the TA right next to the handicap kids. I was in my mind, I was one class away from the special needs. Right. Because the resource class was right next door. And I remember instead of this, I was being self-discipline. I'm going to lean into this. I'm not dumb. I'm going to master this because this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I start to learn that my brain is different. Right. I thought different. Like I even told you, I we touched on earlier. I would remember guys on the pattern of their feet. Right. The shoes that they would wear, the way they would tie their shoelaces. I, and I would remember like bunny ear shoelaces, slider, slider, fastball up. And like, that's how my, I couldn't remember his name. Right. And I would remember things that way. Uh, heck my, my phone number, do, 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 do. Like I knew it in patterns and, and I picked up on that instead of, and then in reading, I would read it a bunch of times instead of read it. I would count how many girls, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, I'm the ninth paragraph. And then I would read the ninth and the tenth paragraph, or sometimes the eighth, ninth, and tenth, because sometimes it's a smart girl, sometimes she'll have her read too. So I'd have to memorize the next two paragraphs. And I would memorize that, read it a bunch of times until I got my turn, and memorize it rather than reading it because the anxiety, because my words, my brain would move ahead when I would start to feel that anxiety because the letters would switch on me. I would, I would memorize it. It'd be easier for me to just memorize what I read than memorize that. So I knew I was a little different, not dumb, but just thought different. And it would took a lot of hard work to master how I thought because it was different and to have confidence that I learned different and started reading books at the dyslexic center that, you know, Tom Cruise, Oprah Winfrey, and all these people were dyslexic. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm going to be like them. Mm -hmm. And what and what they said is that they knew if they could be self-disciplined with learning how to read, they can be self-disciplined with anything. And mm -hmm. that was funny that you brought that up. That is what, to a core why I practice self-discipline. So interesting. All right, second question. And, and if I fall flat on this one, then I'll come up with a different one. But if I remember correctly, and my mind slips on years and details and all that, I just have little things that you know pop into my head too. It's funny. I remember baseball moments based on what side of the field the Royals were on. Okay, you know, was it first yeah. base side or third base side? If it's first, if it's third base side, we weren't at home. Then, like you know, is it Cleveland? Is it you start thinking about the, where the visiting dugouts are? But anyway, um, that's unrelated. But 
Weren't you at some point, maybe when you were in Seattle or something, I seem to remember that when we were covering you um, from the other side, weren't you like living down it sounds like it sounds like Chris Farley, like down by the river in a van. Uh, not a van, a fifth wheel. Sorry, it was a, it, right, right, right. But in my mind, it went Chris Farley and, yeah. uh, and uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt Foley, the good old Matt Foley sketch. No, but you were living down by the river, weren't you? I was. I was, and 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 this was. I was kind of backing up, mentoring uh, uh, Zanino, right? Mike yeah. Zanino. The first year, my family was going to stay home, uh, and so I was like, "Oh, huh? I'm going." try this fifth wheel trailer thing out because I'm not being in Seattle. There's a lot of fly fishing rivers up there. So I found me a fly fishing river and thought if I don't have to be at the field at noon, like I normally do it as a starter, you know, uh, then I'm going to take advantage and start fishing, you know, start fly fishing in the morning and then catch a ball game in the evening. And cause if you can't tell my brain never shuts off. So it was a way to get to higher ground before I got to go and, and not play, I had to watch and be more intelligent. So I, 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 I used it as a, to kind of come peaceful before I go and help Zanino think. And I had to like calm myself because I didn't want to be backing up. I think you all know me. I'm, I'm a control freak. I want to have control of that game. You can't control the outcome of the game. If I'm not helping call pitches, setting up defenses, you know, I was teaching Zanino how to do it. And so it was hard. And luckily, Mike is the greatest young guy to take over your position to ever happen. I feel like that was like the baseball God's gift to me is so that I could have him and Travis Darno be my two guys I mentor and take over my job. There's probably two, not two better humans to do that uh, for me to transition because they were so hungry for knowledge and their two personalities are so humbling that it was, I felt like they just put me on this pedestal, which it made it really easy for me to want to give them everything that I had in me to, to make them better. And so, 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 so having that fly fishing, it had to put me in the mindset to be like, I'm just here having fun <laughs> because I was, I was a little wound up. So it, it helped me decompress, but yeah, I was in a trailer, which I had David DeSaisus come out. They did like a little thing. Mm-hmm. And he like rolls up in like this limo and he's telling me like where he's living, why he was playing. It was not the same as a trailer to say that he no, was always not, he was all moisturized up. Yeah. It was, yeah, it wasn't yeah, the same. Yeah. You know, it's all about the looks with, uh, with, with the Jesus. <laughs> and, so, and the looks are good too. I don't blame him. <laughs> he's, that, that's a uh, New Jersey born and bred just like me. Uh, yeah. But he got the looks and I moved to Chicago. Okay. So third question as we round the bases, and th- this will be uh, a little bit along the lines. I'm thinking about that veteran role, although backup role, and I'm not going to ask you what your favorite baseball movie is, but mine is Bull Durham. And so I'm, I'm envisioning like, you know, you as Crash Davis and Zach Granke as Nuclear Lush or whoever, whoever it is on the mound. The question is this, and you know, we could do another hour just on this, but I want you to pick one most bizarre, interesting, fun, whatever conversation you ever had on the mound? Ooh. Um, I, I don't, I don't, it wasn't on the mound. How about right before the mound? Okay. Th- this was Zach Grinke's. So we're that when he started on the Cy Young year, right? When he was just 2009. Yep. And he was killing it at the beginning and spring training and everything. I was Zach's catcher. Cause I was the previous, you know, all the other years since me and him were the youngest, I think we we're 
one point the youngest battery mates at one point in there. Maybe it was just that year, but I remember very young and we kind of grew together. And then we got 2009. I was like, I felt like we're ready to go. He comes to me before the season says, John, I, I don't want you to catch me. And I'm like, what? Like, you want Olivo to catch it? He goes, yeah. I said, he goes, you're just too smart. I want to throw something. You put something down. I don't want to throw it anymore. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he goes, but I want you at my, uh, my pitching meetings uh, to do like the pregame where you do the meetings. He goes, I still want you to go as if you're still catching. And I'm like, Okay. And he's like, all right, thanks. And then turns and just walks away, <laughs> just turns and walks away. And it's like, okay, thanks Zach. <laughs> like, like, was that a compliment? Or was that a diss? What, like, I didn't know where to have, they kind of take that, but that by far had to be the most interesting uh, because I feel like it was weird because our communication opened up even more. Like I became the reference point to talk about in between games. And I think he used watching me call a game the whole time. What I did, what I said, and then would do what he on a clean slate, what he wanted to do. And, and so I think that was the most interesting because it always puzzled me. Was it, was my hands not good enough? Was it this? And, and I think it was, Maybe it was just what he said, plain and simple. It didn't need an explanation. He told me exactly what he's. John's just too smart. I don't, he makes me second guess myself. So I've, I've uh, since then, took it as a compliment. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm smiling at this now because I had to look it up as you were talking. Um, I I have a memory of a Zach Greinke one hitter at Seattle, and I I don't really like I really don't remember shit from a week ago. Uh, but the reason why I remember that, and so, of course, I looked who was catching Zach Granke that day, Miguel Olivo. And it was a one-hitter, and I, I said, so Zach was my star of the game coming off, which sometimes he would do it, sometimes he wouldn't. He was everybody's favorite interview because he was unfiltered, um, you know, if he was willing to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I asked him, you know, live on the field about, uh, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember all of it, but, I mean, he, that day he goes – uh, let's see here. The pitching line for Granky that day was nine innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts. I mean, he was as close to perfect as just about as close to perfect as you could be. So I asked him about one hitting the Seattle Mariners. He goes, it's really not that big a deal. They don't have very many good hitters. Done. Done interview. See you later. See you, Joel. Right. I'll see you. I'll see you on the plane. <laughs> this wasn't like being humble. This was just being very honest. Like, yeah. they're not that good. This was easy. And so, and, and, that's Zach, you know, I, I mean, I could have some amazing conversations. I think I earned his trust, but as you know, that whole discussion about trust and relationships was out the window with him. You could earn every bit of it every day. It doesn't mean that you were going to get it back. It just depends on his comfort level. And, you know, there was one day I walked in when he was with the Dodgers and said, hey, you know, you have a second for two questions off camera. And he says, sure. And I asked him one, I asked him two, and I, and I, thought, I got I got a couple of follow-ups. He goes, are we done? You, you said two questions. I got to go. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he's, sure. He's the, great, he, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. Hall, Hall of Famer? Yeah. 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 Come on, dude. Like he, no, he, right. He's been at so it for here, 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 Here's my take, and this is my input as his catcher. I got to catch him. And I got to catch him during development. And this is why I think he is. Think about the young age that he was. And what we were doing as Royals when he did that in 09 and, and the stuff before that. I remember in spring training and this kid would 
have the cojones enough to be like, I'm throwing all change-ups today. I'm moving in and out, and I'm going to change speeds on my change-up, John. But notice that wasn't one of the interesting – because that was pretty normal for him, and him to be able to do that. That was unique. He wanted to perfect that in every count. He wanted to see what they would do with it. This is the guy that says, I'm, I've tried everything. I'm throwing one down the middle to Vladimir. I don't think he can hit it. He, and, he see, and seeing him do it 10 times and, and Vladdy not know what to do. Like yeah. to, to, to go to in that space, that's very abnormal. He went to places that were ab- – that's Hall of Fame. That's my take because I've, I've had Harvey, who's kind of dominance was level that, wasn't able to sustain it. Zach's not only done because of that work that he's done, his knowledge is sustainable. Mm. It's like he's a power pitching Maddox that Maddox kept his hard throwing. If Mac, Maddox would have kept throwing hard, it would have been Zach. I, I, you know what I mean? But yeah. Zach stayed power and then decided to pick up the 60 in the minor hour. Yeah. Thumb thing, whatever he's doing. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's unique. It's That's Hall of Fame. Very unique, no doubt. Uh, last question, as we round the bases, the walk-off, let's talk about going forward for you. What's what's on deck, so to speak? Sorry, bad baseball pun. And, and tell me more about Behind the Dish. Um, one, Behind the Dish, uh, it's, it's a platform to discuss Behind the Dish things. Almost anything that comes into my life, a lot of uh, mental health topics of – tools that I can give to parents, discussions with teammates of mental health things, um, whether it's parents, whether it's coaches, whether it's the player about your parents or your coaches, those things that happen in the scenario, but also the relatable things in business behind the dish. I got into uh, restaurants and owning franchises behind the dish. Um, so that's kind of in the works. So there's business stuff that we talk about being able, you know, whatever floats my topic. Uh, but also the main thing is, is I've mentioned it before, getting some sort of youth facility, baseball facility out here and become more involved with the youth and creating opportunities for scholarships and, um, and, and maybe putting more emphasis like what you mentioned early in the podcast, maybe even beforehand it's how many jobs and how much longer you can stay in the game when you're not a ball player. Mm-hmm. Why put all our eggs in investing in a complex for 1% of the people who make a career out of it? I want to, like I said, from mental health standpoint outwards to make well-defined humans, then put the cherry on top with baseball scholarships. Those guys are going to get them anyways. Let's make well-defined individuals in the community around. That's what I'm interested in and being part of it and, uh, I think will make the most impact because there's a lot of Joel Goldbergs out there. There's a lot of uh, Dayton Moores out there that need to be. And if they start thinking about that goal like that now with a baseball experience, mm-hmm. oof, I think that could make for some uh, high quality humans in the world. Yeah. We, we need many more of those. You can never have enough. Uh, again, for people that want to learn about behind the dish, real simple, go to behind the dot. U.S. I knew this would be a great conversation. I knew it would go long. I know it could go longer. Maybe we'll do more again at some point. It's always fascinating. It was just so good to see you recently in town with your family and the Royals golf tournament and at the stadium. Awesome. And um, it's just that's, just like old times. Well, that's that's why I think we love Kansas City. Like like I said, we went and visited the hospital, some of our homes. 
uh, talking to ushers that were there, helping Brooke carry up the twins. Like I said, I was in Kansas City in a, a weird development phase of life, and, and the city was so good to me and my family. Like, so to, and, it, and it was 13 years to the day for my boys to be born that we were there at that. So it kind of made it, it was kind of a homecoming. And of course, the Royals made it made us feel like a million bucks and, and showed my family around and, and Yelich in the yellow as we were playing the brewers, right. He happened to be in the, uh, the, uh, the hotel. And prior to that, my son was like, dad, you don't know him. And I was late. I was like, no, we're going to get you guys to bed because we're late. And the bus was coming off and I was like, Oh, there's Yelich. Let's go up. Dad introduce. And I was like, no, let's go to bed. You don't even know him. You don't, you're just old. Yeah. You don't know those guys. You're just old. You wish you did. I'm like, okay. So we go to bed. We're sitting there. Me and Billy are sitting in the lobby and Yelich goes walking past. Oh, Hey John comes back. You remember me? And I was like, Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that you decided. He was probably, he was (laughs) probably 19. He was 19 with the Marlins. And I said, yeah, I remember you. Sorry for making you sing on top of that picnic table, the whole organization. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you still remember me. He was like, how do I forget? So he he made me feel cool in front of my son for one day. So it was a cool dad moment. So thank you, yeah. Alex, for making oh. me feel like and, and shoving it in my son's face. I was somebody one day, wasn't I? <laughs> but Joel, <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Uh, anytime, man. I love talking to you. Oh, it's great. It was so good to see you and uh, so good to see you here virtually as well. John Buck, uh, again, behindthedish.us and, uh, and, and everything else that he has going on too. John, thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me, man.